take your Bibles, open them with me to the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 14, verses 14 through 18. I want to talk to you today about this topic, beholding God's glory. So buckle your seatbelt. We're going to talk about some, some deep things in the Word of God today, beholding God's glory. Five years ago, there was a total eclipse that was seen throughout the United States. In fact, they called it the Great American Eclipse. And people all over, maybe some of you went out to see it. Maybe you remember in the days leading up to the eclipse, there were numerous stories in the news warning people not to look directly into the light without some kind of protective eye gear. And unfortunately, many people ignored those warnings. And so what happened after the eclipse in the days and weeks afterwards, there were other stories. There were reports of people who actually became blind by staring into that eclipse. You see, we cannot behold, our eyes cannot directly behold the light of the sun. And yet, I'm here today to tell you it would be easier for us to look directly into the sun than it would be for us to look directly at the glory of God. We talk a lot about God's glory. This is a common theme that we see again and again in the Bible. But what does it mean when we refer to God's glory? I love the way one pastor put it. It's really hard to define, but I like this definition. Christopher Morgan called God's glory the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of God's many perfections. I love that. The magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of God's many perfections. And yes, we can see some of God's glory when we look around. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And Isaiah 6 says, the whole earth is full of his glory. And so creation reveals God's glory. It speaks to us. It shouts to us. It tells us that there is a God and that he is altogether glorious. And so we see that glory, but deep down we long for more, don't we? Because God created us for more. And so we think about Exodus 33, that famous prayer that Moses prayed. He said, Show me your glory. And you remember how God answered him. Part of that response, God said, Moses, no man can see me and live. No man can see me and live. God is so holy and so, we are so sinful on our own. We could never see God in all of his glory and survive. But 2,000 years ago, God did something for us that he did not do for Moses. 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus came and indeed made it possible for us to behold the glory of God. Listen to what John said in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Jesus, 
the Word who was in the beginning, the Word who was with God and was God, the Word who created everything. He became flesh when he was conceived by the Virgin Mary. And so he's fully God and fully man. And Jesus brought the two together. And by doing so, he made it possible now Yes, we can see and we can behold and experience the glory of God in a way that we never could before. So in these five verses, I want us to see some things that Jesus accomplished to make this possible so that we can behold God's glory. Jesus made it possible, uh, first of all, by demonstrating God's character, by demonstrating God's Character. Look again at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I preached on the first part of verse 14, I believe three weeks ago, but let me just remind you of something even though in John's gospel he tends to emphasize the divinity of Jesus, he still wants to make it very clear that Jesus was also fully human because when John wrote his gospel towards the end of the first century, it was the humanity of Jesus that the false teachers were attacking and denying. There were these false teachers who said, well, Jesus wasn't really human, he just appeared human. And so when John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's saying, no, uh, Jesus's body was not just an illusion. God himself really became a man. And when Jesus was begotten of the Father, something happened that had never happened before or after in all of human history. God himself walked among us in human flesh, and he made it possible for humans to be able to know him and experience him like never before. But I want you to notice what John says Next, in Jesus, the glory of God was demonstrated in that he was full of grace and truth. I want to talk about those key words for a few minutes this morning. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Notice, not one or the other, not grace or truth, but both grace and truth. Now, if you think about God, he has so many different attributes that are described in the Word of God. For example, He is sovereign. He's in control. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's good. If you think about all these different attributes of God as being like fruits on a tree, there are two main attributes that are like the roots that feed into the tree from which all of the other attributes flow. God is love and God is holy. These two are the principal attributes of God. God is love and God is holy. God is love. He loves us. He loves us so much. He wants to save us. He wants to bless us. He wants to spend eternity with us. God is also holy. He is perfectly pure and righteous in all of his ways. 
Because God is both love and He is holy. John says Jesus came and He reflected God's character in that He was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And no one ever put those two together for us like Jesus did. When you read through the Gospels, you see this over and over again, how Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. For example, we see Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he said, ask, I'll give you living water and you will never thirst again. You know what that is? Grace. Later on in that same conversation, he pointed out her sin. He said, you've been divorced five times and you're living with a man who's not your husband. You know what that was? Truth. When they caught the woman in adultery and they brought her to Jesus and they all had their stones, they were ready to kill her right there on the spot. What did Jesus do? He got rid of the crowd. He said, neither do I condemn you. You know what that is? Grace. But then what did he say? Go and sin no more. Truth. Jesus dined with tax collectors. Grace. When people ask him, Jesus, why would you do that? What did he say? Because I came to call sinners to repentance. Truth. Jesus befriended prostitutes. Grace. He challenged the religious leaders, truth. He touched and he healed the lepers, grace. He overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple, drove them out with a whip, truth. He invited people to come and follow him. He said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. That's grace. And then he also said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth and grace and truth. And we are called to be full of grace and truth. I'm going to be honest with you. For me personally, I think this is the hardest part of the Christian life. Maintaining that balance between the two. Because if we are very honest with ourselves, sometimes we tend to be one or the other. For example, there are certain individuals who are grace-only people. You know what I mean? Grace-only. They're full of compassion. Praise the Lord. They're empathetic. They're pleasant to be around. They're easygoing. They're nice. They don't ruffle any feathers. But while they emphasize grace, they ignore truth. Because they want to make everybody happy, they're not willing to speak out. They're silent when they should speak. Uh, They're not willing to confront others about their sin. They're not willing to speak out boldly on topics where others might be offended, like abortion or greed or sexual sin or pride. You have the grace-only people, but then you have the truth-only people. You know what I mean? Truth only. They speak for the truth and they stand for the truth and they defend the truth. That's good. But they aren't very loving about it. 
These are the folks who will scream about somebody else's sin. They take pleasure in pointing out the evil in somebody else's ways. And they are outspoken when it comes to things like marriage and the sanctity of life or gender, but they have no compassion for anybody who has messed up in any of these areas. And so they speak the truth, but not in love. And you know what happens? It tends to drive people away, not just from them, but also from Jesus. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so our prayer should be that God would help us to be full of grace and truth. For example, it's our job to say to the world, you're guilty, but you can be forgiven. You're in danger of hell, but you can go to heaven. Your sin separates you from God, but you can be a child of God. You're spiritually dead, but God will give you life. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Jesus made it possible for us to behold God's glory by demonstrating the character of God. What is God like? Like Jesus, he's full of grace and truth. Something else that we see that Jesus did, he made it possible for us to behold God's glory by displaying God's splendor. By displaying God's splendor. Now, verse 15 is like a parenthesis. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But look at verse 16. And of his fullness, we have all received. Let me pause right there. Of his what? Fullness. Well, what fullness? This Greek word is very important. It's very key. It's the word pleromatos. It means the sum total of all that is in God. I mentioned a moment ago the different attributes of God. Think for a moment about those attributes. Think about everything that we know to be true about God because the Bible tells us so. Think about everything we know about God that, that just inspires us and fills us with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. All of that splendor, John said, is in Jesus fully. Now this word, fully, we see two other times where the Apostle Paul uses this word to describe Jesus in his letter to the Colossians. Now listen to what Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, meaning in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Notice he did not say some of the fullness. It pleased the Father that all of his fullness would dwell in Jesus. Well, what is he full of? Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything about God that makes us want to cry out to him and worship him and praise him and adore him, all of that is perfectly reflected in Christ. Every attribute of God is perfectly displayed in Jesus. And because Jesus is all of that, because he has in himself the fullness of God, you know what that means? That means for us that Jesus is like a well that never 
ever runs dry. Every now and then we sing that song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That's so true. The longer we serve him, the longer we walk with him, the more we meditate on him, the more that we know him, the bigger and the greater we find him to be, the more praiseworthy we find him to be. It's like Jesus is just getting bigger, but Jesus isn't getting bigger, and he's certainly not getting because he's already perfect, and he doesn't need to be improved upon. But the greater our vision of him, the greater we see him to be because he possesses in himself all the fullness of God. I love those children's books, the Chronicles of Narnia. A couple of them were made into movies, but you should really read the books. And if you're looking for some uh, inspiring Christian books to give your kids that they will love, I highly recommend them. But there's this one scene in one of those books, Prince Caspian. I love the moment where that little girl, Lucy, is having a conversation with Aslan the lion. Now, if you don't know, Aslan in these books is the lion who represents Jesus. Now, Lucy had not seen Aslan in some time. She was seeing him for the first time in a while. And so, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, he said. Not because you are bigger? Lucy asked, I am not, Aslan said, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And so it is. The more we grow in the Lord, the more we grow in the knowledge of God, to us it seems the bigger and the greater Jesus is. And the more we know him We see all the fullness of God in him, every attribute of God perfectly displayed. For example, he's not just beauty, but we find him to be supreme beauty. He's not just love. He is the highest love. He's not just powerful. He has all powerful. He gives us not just peace, but peace that passes all understanding. He gives us not just hope, but living hope. He gives us not just joy, but the Bible calls it inexpressible and glorious joy. You see how this works? In all of these things, Jesus displays the splendor of God so that we can behold his glory. Now, there's something else that he does that I want you to notice. He does this by bestowing God's favor as well. Number three, by bestowing God's favor. Go back to verse 16. And of his fullness, we have all received and Grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice the end of verse 16, we receive grace. And of course, we could go on and on about just that by itself. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, God's kindness, God's blessings toward us, which we don't deserve. Someone said that grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. And yes, grace by itself is amazing. It would be amazing if we stopped right there, but that's not what John does. He says that we receive grace 
for grace. What does he, what does he mean by grace for grace? Well, some translations uh, say, and it could also be translated, grace upon grace. One grace after another grace. It's like the waves of the ocean when you go to the beach. And there's a wave that forms. And then it crashes. And then it pulls back. And then there's another. It forms. It crashes. It pulls back. And then there's another. It's just one wave after another. And John says we've received not just grace, but grace upon grace. One wave of grace over us after another. Grace upon grace means that just when you experience some kindness, some blessing, some grace from God, just when you get to that moment when you think you're going to get over it, here comes another wave of grace all over you. One grace after another. Grace upon grace means God gives us grace for every situation in life. Think about it this way. There is a kind of grace that you need when you are young. But you will discover there's another kind of grace that you need as you get older. There's a kind of grace you need when you're single. There's a kind of grace you need when you're married. There's a kind of grace you need when you are tempted in your heart to despair. There's a kind of grace you need when you are starting to become proud. Grace upon grace means that there is grace for every single season, for every need in life, and it is because of Jesus that we can experience this grace. Now, continuing this idea, notice what John says in that next verse. He says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Before the arrival of Jesus, what did we have? We had the law. We had the law. And to understand verse 17 and what he's really saying, you have to pay close attention to the verbs. Notice that the law did not come through Moses. It did not come through Moses. He gave it. Moses gave the law. He handed it down. That law that tells us that we've sinned. The law that demands perfection. And then it condemns us because uh, we all fall short. Now, this law is good. It shows us that God is holy. It reminds us that we need a Savior. But the law cannot save us we cannot be saved by keeping the law because we are already lawbreakers. So Moses gave that law. He gave that standard of righteousness that none of us could meet. But then notice that next verb, Jesus came and he met that standard for us by his life and his death on the cross. He came and brought not only truth in himself, but grace and truth in himself. Jesus makes it possible for us to experience the grace of God by his death on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. Jesus took what we deserve so that we could have what he deserves, but we do not. Jesus received the punishment that should have been ours. And because of that, we can be saved by grace. We can live 
by grace. And God's grace is sufficient at every moment in life. Jesus made it possible for us to behold God's glory by bestowing God's favor on us. One final thing that I want you to see that Jesus did so that we can behold God's glory, he did this by revealing God's heart. By revealing God's heart. Notice verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. What does he mean, no one has seen God at any time? That means no one has been able to look at God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in all of his glory, the full, undiminished glory of God in his whole essence. Say, so what about Moses? Well, he saw a glimpse of the afterglow of God's glory. I'll tell you what else he experienced. He heard God's voice. God spoke and his voice was so terrifying. You remember what Israel said? Please tell God to speak to you and you can repeat to us what God said. We don't want to hear his voice again lest we die. The mere sound of God's voice caused them to fear for their lives. But then Jesus came, the only begotten son. And notice what John says, who is in the bosom of the father. What does that mean? It's an expression we don't use anymore. I haven't heard it. But to be in the bosom of someone, that was an ancient expression that meant the deepest intimacy possible. Two people in complete and perfect communion with one another. To be in someone's bosom was a phrase that was often used to describe a husband and a wife. John says Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus, as the Son of God, knows God the Father as intimately as one could possibly know Him. And the Son, who intimately knows the Father, John says, He has declared Him. Now that word to declare comes from the verb, or from the word knowledge. In other words, to make known. He has made him known. Jesus, who intimately and deeply knew the Father, makes the Father known to us. I don't know if you noticed it was in the news a few weeks ago that scientists from NASA were able to do something that man's never done before. They were able to take data from x-rays from a black hole, they took that data and they have a way they were able to convert it into sound so that we could actually hear the sound of a black hole for the very first time. I'm curious, any of you guys go online, got curious, wanted to know what a black hole sounds like? It's kind of weird, isn't it? It really is. But it's something we could hear that we had never heard before. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. He did something more impressive than that. He made it possible to hear not the sound of a black hole. He made it possible for us in a very real way to hear the heartbeat of God, the God who created that black hole. 
In other words, he made God personal to us. He made God relatable to us. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 4 that we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. And because Jesus did that, because the one who was in the bosom of the Father made him known to us, therefore, no matter what we are going through, we have a Savior, we have a God who understands and who can help us to understand. When we are grief-stricken, we remember that Jesus wept outside of the grave of Lazarus. And when we're struggling just to get by, don't know if you've been there, when we're struggling to get by, we remember Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When we're feeling lonely, we remember that Jesus' friends abandoned him. When we feel like we've been treated unfairly, we remember that Jesus was falsely accused. And so no matter what you are going through in life, we can relate to God because in all of these ways, Jesus revealed to us the heart of God by his life, by his words. He did all of this so that in a whole new way, we could behold the glory of God by demonstrating God's character and displaying God's splendor and bestowing God's favor and revealing God's heart. Only Jesus could do these things. Only he was willing to do all of that for you and for me. Now, I mentioned that parenthesis. Because Jesus did all of that, that is why we can say about Jesus what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Go back to verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. Somebody might read that and say, well, pastor, now wait a second. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus. Well, that's true. John the Baptist started preaching before Jesus. That's true. And yet John says he was before me because John the Baptist understood that Jesus was in the beginning before John was born, before he was even conceived. There was the word. There was Christ. And because of that, notice what he says in the middle of that verse. He is preferred before me. He is preferred before me. That means to have a higher rank. That is a term, a phrase that would have been used in the military for someone to outrank someone. John said, Jesus outranks me. In other words, Jesus should be preeminent in my life. He deserves my highest allegiance, and he has the right to rule and to reign as Lord in every area of my life. Now, Jesus did all of these things to bring God's glory to us so that we can behold God's glory. There's just one thing that we must do. And what is it? Let me remind you what Jesus said to Martha outside of the grave of Lazarus before he raised him from the dead. Listen to what he said in John eleven forty. 40. Let me close with this. 
Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would what? Believe. Believe, You would see what? The glory of God. Believe, Jesus said. If you will believe. And what he said to her applies to us today. If you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a crucifixion death for you and for me, that he rose victoriously from the grave on the third day, if you will simply believe in him as Savior and as Lord, yes, you will see the glory of God. Do you join me as we pray? Our God, we thank you that you made it possible, even though you are holy, for sinners like us to be able to come to you and behold your glory. And God, we long for that day when one day in heaven our faith will become sight and we will be able to behold you in the fullness of your glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we long for that day. We thank you that you sent Jesus And because of all that he was and all that he did, you made it possible for us to behold glory that we never could before. So we thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus came and that he was full of grace and truth. And that in him we have grace upon grace. We thank you that he came and he revealed to us your heart. God, help us, Lord, to apply these things to our lives. God, help us as we leave this place this morning, that wherever we go, that the world would see us being full of grace and truth. Not one or the other, but both. We know that our lives will be the only Bible that a lot of people read. And so God, would you help them that when they look at us, they really would see Jesus in us. Father, I pray for those who are here today who have never come to that place of believing in Jesus or placing their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is beyond just knowing things or believing certain things about you, but to trust in you, to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. God, I pray for that person, whether it's an elderly person or whether it's a young person or a child or a teenager, Single, married, God, I pray for that one who right now, they know in their heart of hearts that they need to call upon the name of the Lord. That they need to trust, put their trust in Jesus and be saved. So God, I pray that even now would be that moment of surrender for them. So speak to all of us, Lord, and show us what you'd have us to do. And we will give you all of the thanks and all of the praise and all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.